Hi, everyone. It's time for another episode of Pep Talk, AASA's Education Policy Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Chris Rogers, and I'm a policy analyst here at AASA. If it's your first time tuning in, thanks for joining us. Here at Pep Talk, we cover all things that could be remotely labeled as edu policy. All shows are available for download under the Pep Talk landing page on the AASA website. Looking ahead, if you have a show idea or guest you think that we should have on, shoot me a note at crogers at AASA. Dot org or on Twitter at crogers16. Our latest episode, which you'll hear next, is with John Rumpler, Clean Water Program Director at Environment America. In his current role at Environment America, John directs the organization's effort to protect our rivers, lakes, streams, and drinking water. John's areas of expertise include lead and other toxic threats to drinking water, factory farms, and other sources of agribusiness pollution, including algae booms, fracking, and the Federal Clean Water Act. If that wasn't enough to catch your attention, John also has several accomplishments, including his work in leading successful campaigns to win a clean up plan for the Chesapeake Bay, enact the federal clean water rule, and implement state policies to curb runoff pollution. He has testified before Congress and co-authored several reports on various pollution threats, but what brings John to us today is that he directs his organization's campaign to get the lead out of our, of our drinking water especially at schools and childcare centers. I am looking forward to this conversation with John as he is an expert on testing for lead in schools. I appreciate the opportunity to highlight the work of Environment America, talk about their advocacy efforts and see what's on the horizon as it relates to federal and state policy on testing for lead in schools. Thanks for listening. So John, thank you for joining us today. I know Environment America has a lot going on with uh, National Lead Poisoning Prevention Week. Uh, so I appreciate the opportunity to sit down and talk with you. Sure. My pleasure, Chris. So for our listeners who don't have a background in environmental policy, uh, which is pretty much everyone, <laughs> except for you, could you provide a brief overview of the prevalence of lead in school water systems? Uh, we've heard cases about uh, Flint, Michigan, but it would be great to hear from an expert on how widespread this problem is in our school systems. Sure. Um, the, the short answer to your question is that, unfortunately, the problem of lead contamination in schools drinking water is quite pervasive. It's not just in the few places that you hear about in the headlines, like Flint or Detroit or uh, Newark, New Jersey. Uh, in fact, if you look at the data across the country, as more schools test their water, they're finding lead at astonishingly uh, widespread levels. So here in Massachusetts, for example, under a voluntary program, more than half of the 43,000 faucets and fountains tested at Massachusetts schools uh, found lead in the water as of December 2018. You'll find similar results from Montana to Texas to Oregon to Arizona. Whatever state you look at where there's widespread testing data, it's showing a pervasive amount of taps where our kids are drinking or water used for cooking at schools where there is some level of lead in the water. Wow, well, thank you for that in-depth explanation. Okay, so now that we know that this is a serious problem for many school districts throughout the country, would you mind telling us what the research says on how lead affects our students' development? Sure, you know, Lead is a potent neurotoxin, and it affects the way our kids learn and behave and develop. So much of their learning is at stake uh, because of this potent neurotoxin. According to EPA, 
and I quote EPA's website, in children, low levels of lead exposure have been linked to damage of the central and peripheral nervous system, learning disabilities, shorter stature, impaired hearing, impaired formation and function of blood cells. And on top of that, uh, medical and public health professionals estimate that as many as 24 million children in America are at risk of losing IQ points due to low levels of lead exposure. Well, thank you for that now answer. Just, oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, Chris, you know, just if I could expand for a moment. Yeah, go you for know, it. Teachers, teachers and principals and superintendents spend their days thinking about how our children can reach their potential teaching them and inspiring them and getting them to do their best. And the notion that we would have water in our schools that might hamper their ability to learn by diminishing their IQ points and their central nervous system and so forth is, I'm sure, of great concern to all of your listeners. Oh, definitely. I mean, here at ASA, we are all about healthy development for our students and uh, possibly giving them the best outcomes that they deserve. Uh, so thank you for that answer and aligning us on the detrimental effects of lead uh, for our students' physical and neurological development. For our next question, it would be great to understand how lead is getting into our school system's public water, and especially since we've known the dangers that lead poses to our students for some time now. Sure. The simple fact of the matter is that for decades, we have built our uh, plumbing and water delivery systems in our schools and in our, our homes with components made of lead. Not so common at schools, but across the country, there are pipes called service lines. Those are the pipes that run from the street uh, into your home or another smaller building. Those th that bring drinking water in, there are an estimated 6 million or some people say as many as 10 million of these pipes that are entirely made of lead. But once you go into a school, there you have piping that has maybe lead solder. You have fountains and faucets that are made with lead. You have brass uh, fixtures, and brass is made with lead. And even these small amounts of lead are enough to contaminate the water that our children drink. Okay, well, thank you for that expert info right there. Uh, so circling back on how lead affects our students, and given the fact of the prevalence of lead in our drinking water uh, system, is there a safe level of lead in water or should school districts be concerned by any amount of lead in their public water systems? School districts should be concerned about any level of lead in their water. Um, EPA has said and the CDC and other health experts have said there is no clearly established safe level of water for children. And that's why EPA has set a maximum contaminant level goal of lead in drinking water at zero. Now, the American Academy of Pediatrics, to be more specific, when asked, you know, well, what should schools try to do? You know, because zero might be an impossible goal. The American Academy of Pediatrics is saying schools should work to limit lead in drinking water to one part per billion, one part per billion. That's what the pediatricians, the American Academy of Pediatrics is saying. So I'm also assuming here, and correct me if I'm wrong in this answer, uh, that more schools are testing for lead than ever before. So hypothetically, 
what would your advice be for a superintendent who tested for lead last year and only found a few outlets above EPA's action level? For instance, could that superintendent assure parents that the water is now safe to drink? I would advise against it for several reasons, Chris. First of all, as we were indicating just a minute ago, the American Academy of Pediatrics is recommending, in fact, urging schools to limit lead in schools drinking water to no more than one part per billion. But that EPA action level that you just mentioned, which is set for water utilities, not to determine whether the water is safe for children to drink at school, that is 15 parts per billion. So that action level is 15 times more lead than the pediatricians are saying should be allowed at school. So that's one reason why uh, even if the results that you see are below 15 parts per billion in your school, you ought to be concerned. Even if your tests only show lead in a few outlets, the other reason to be concerned is that lead testing is highly variable. Even when lead testing is properly done, the fact of the matter is that lead corrosion happens unevenly over time. Some of the experts out there in the field of lead testing have refer referred to it as like Russian roulette. You could test an outlet and test an outlet and test an outlet and come up with very little lead and then boom, the next day, get a big slug of lead in the water. As long as there is lead in the faucets, the fountains, the pipes, etc., children are at risk. Okay, so what I'm gathering here is that the answer is not necessarily, and that given lead testing is so variable depending on the day or when you're conducting the tests, we don't know for sure, really. So if that's the case... Well, I, Chris, I, I would go a little bit further, which is to say what we know for sure is that as long as there's lead in the water delivery system, it is just a matter of time before that lead is going to be in the water that some child is drinking at a faucet or fountain. So we can say with absolute certainty that the risk will be there, even if any given test doesn't confirm it. Got you. So the risk is there if lead is prevalent. So if that's the case, then what actions can school officials do to ensure safe drinking water uh, for their students and their communities? Absolutely. Well, in our view, the most fundamental thing to do is to get the lead out, to remove faucets and fountains that were made with significant concentrations of lead and replace them with safer alternatives. Another measure that can be done that is a kind of a, sh a short term and a, a low cost thing is to put filters on faucets and fountains um, that are certified to remove lead. These filters have worked highly, uh, quite effectively in many sittings, settings I should say, um, and the District of Columbia school system, Washington, D.C. schools now require filters to be put on faucets and fountains in schools there. Well, that's great to know and hear that some states and districts are taking action on this. Just as a follow-up question and more to ask you to expand on what you just previously alluded to in your last uh, answer, are there any states and school districts in particular that are taking steps or should be looked to as examples, as leads in this issue or on this issue, Absolutely. I should say? Yes, indeed. Illinois, for example, uh, now has a statewide policy where when schools uh, test for lead, as, as many of them are required to do, 
they are uh, required to remediate any level of lead that is found, um, not relying on that 15 part per billion action level, which is wholly uh, inadequate to protect children's health. So in that way, in that one way, Illinois is really an important leader to follow, saying, really, you should be concerned with any levels of lead that you're finding. There are school districts across the country that have voluntarily adopted lower standards, not perhaps always down to the one part per billion that the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends, although Austin, Texas has done so, and Berkeley, California. They've both adopted that one part per billion standard, but not far behind. Los Angeles Unified School District, the second largest school district in the country, has now pledged to meet a five part per billion standard. San Diego schools have done the same, and the state of Montana is currently considering a five part per billion standard. So um, things are moving. Uh, there are school districts, there are state policymakers who are starting to move in the right direction. And there are even individual superintendents and principals that are taking action on their own. Uh, Chris, here in Massachusetts, we have the privilege to talk to a school administrator in, in uh, Bridgewater, Massachusetts, that, that just saw the testing results. And even though it was not required, he said, we, we can't have kids drinking out of these fountains anymore, and found money in their local school budget that was reserved for emergency health purposes, and they replaced those fountains. And, and that, I should say, not Brockton, I apologize, that, uh, not, not Bridgewater, that was Brockton, Massachusetts. And for people who don't know the greater Boston area, uh, Brockton is not a wealthy community. And so it was impressive to see the determination from Brockton uh, local officials to protect their kids voluntarily from this hazard. Well, we always like to hear about superintendents and school districts uh, using the resources that they have uh, to ensure the healthiest environments for their students. So thank you for highlighting that important work. So now turning to the even more wonky part of this conversation. Uh, the EPA recently proposed an update to the federal lead and copper uh, pipe rule, which dictates how schools test and respond to lead in schools. How will this affect public schools and superintendents and students across the nation? Sure. Uh, it will affect schools in two ways. First, for people who don't know what the lead and copper rule is, that is the primary federal regulation that regulates water utilities and what they are required to do to prevent lead contamination of drinking water. The only schools that are directly regulated under the lead and copper rule are about 10% of schools across the country that provide their own water. And in effect, they are their own water utility. And so they are directly governed by as water utilities, as all water utilities are. For those small set of schools, uh, percentage-wise, the entire lead and copper rule will apply to them. For all other schools, there's a small step in the right direction, which is that water utilities are now directed to start sampling the water at schools in their service areas. And so for places where there's no testing happening at all, at least now the lead and copper rule appears as proposed would require some limited testing to happen at some set of schools over a five-year period. Even there, there are some tricky details. So for example, one part of the proposal is to just test as few as five outlets where kids drink the water. 
Well, we know that that's not going to show the full picture. You really need to test all the outlets in the school, wherever kids may be uh, drawing water for drinking or water that's used for cooking, to really get a sense of even what the, the imperfect testing can tell you. Uh, the second thing is it's unclear whether the testing regime that would be used in these tests will help schools diagnose where the lead problem is coming from. Oftentimes, experts recommend multiple draws so that you can tell how far back in the water system the lead uh, contamination is happening. It's unclear whether that is what EPA is requiring in this new rule. What really concerns me, though, is that if we only do this very limited testing, what we may be doing is giving superintendents and principals and therefore parents and their children a false sense of security that really they don't have much of a lead problem. In fact, what the data shows when you have widespread testing, thousands and thousands of taps tested from, as I said before, Massachusetts to Montana to Texas, is that the problem is incredibly widespread. And the second thing is that unfortunately the lead and copper rule doesn't provide much in terms of resources or requirements of what school districts should do to prevent the problem of lead contamination, i.e. removing those lead bearing parts, putting those filters on. These are the steps that we are going to need to take to protect our children. Got you. So thank you for that overview and really going into the complexity of how difficult it is to really do lead testing and multiple draws and the variability between the results that uh, school superintendents will see in, in those tests. All of that said, do you think the lead and copper rule is a step in the right direction? And if so, or if not, how could it be improved? Sure. Well, as I indicated before, the lead and copper rule primarily affects water utilities. The schools are just one small part of the rule. So if I can step back for a moment from our school-centered concern of many of your listeners, just as public citizens who might be living in communities uh, who care about drinking water, not just that kids drink at school, but that they also drink at home or everywhere else, I would say that the, the biggest thing to say about EPA's proposed update to the lead and copper rule is it's a missed opportunity. For decades now, activists and public health uh, experts have been calling on the complete removal of these lead service lines that I was mentioning earlier, those pipes that run from the water main in the street into your house. There are, as I said, six to 10 million of those out there that are made entirely of lead. And for those households and buildings, and perhaps a few smaller schools out there, those lead service lines are the single largest source of lead contamination because the, the pipe is entirely made of lead as opposed to, say, a faucet or a fountain that may have components that are, say, on average, 8% lead, right? So it's a, just a huge, huge uh, source of lead contamination. And for decades, advocates and experts have been calling on EPA to mandate the removal of those lead service lines and EPA has failed to do so in this proposed update. We hope they will reconsider. Awesome, and thank you for that overview. My final question for you today is, given the scale of this problem, uh, what should the federal government be doing to help schools, as you so cleverly coined it, 
get the lead out? Absolutely. I think that most, I, I start, Chris, from the premise that most superintendents, in fact, perhaps all superintendents and principals and certainly teachers want to do the very best that they can to protect their children's health. And oftentimes those schools are operating under extremely tight budgets and it's very difficult for them to do everything that they would like to do, uh, not just to protect drinking water, not just to protect children's health from a whole range of threats, but all of the other things that we need to do to keep our kids safe and to provide the best learning environment for them. And so I honestly think that one of the best things that the federal government can do is provide money to school districts to take the steps to get the lead out. It's going to take an ambitiously funded effort for us to put faucets and fountains that have lead in them, let's replace those. Let's put those filters that are, that are you know, certified to remove lead, let's put those on every outlet where kids are drinking their water, et cetera. These are the steps that it's going to take to protect our kids, and it's going to take everybody pitching in. It's going to take the local school board. It's going to take the state legislature. It's going to take the federal government. Everyone is going to have to do what they can to put the resources in so we can get the lead out. Well, John, thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Pep Talk. For my listeners, you can follow me on Twitter at crogers at 16 if you have any more questions. And with that, I think we are done for today, John. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris.